0: Welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast with your hosts Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. The ultimate insider's guide from signing day to the national championship game and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast.
1: And welcome back to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. Chip Patterson, that's Barton Simmons. We have an absolutely huge show. This is a record-breaking show. I don't think that we've had five guests on a single show before, but we're going around the world. Uh, We're going to be hitting five. Huge schools checking in with the most important questions. We're going to be going to USC, to Georgia, to Texas, to LSU, to Michigan, uh, getting the answers from the boots on the ground. Thanks to twenty four seven Sports, Spartan uh, the squ- the squad showed up. Uh, we're excited about that. But before we get to the fun, we need to dive into the the news of the day as we sit here recording on Thursday, August twenty third. Um, we get let's 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 get right into it. Urban Meyer suspended three games. Uh, he is going to be allowed to participate with the team and in practice and preparation after the Oregon state game. So totally suspended from team activities from when he was placed on administrative leave until after the Oregon state game as the, uh, let's, we can, we can hit the press conference. We can hit the fallout. Um, I think there's probably maybe like three big, big ways we can hit this. What, where do you want to go first?
0: Uh, well I've, look I'm glad we're talking the morning after um, as I I got called on to HQ last night and I I respond reacted to this and I always hate reacting immediately to things like this cuz I'm a slow thinker and I need I need time to digest and and really let it sit and simmer and, and figure out sort of what I think about this stuff cuz I do think there's a, like people can I think it's a it's a mistake to to at times to make sort of these huge you know damning statements one way or the other following things like this so now that i've got some time to digest this a little bit like here that's that's what this podcast
1: is here for you and i get called on to cbs sports hq for our instant in the moment (laughs) reactions but that's because video clips you know like video hits need to be between 90 seconds and two minutes this is a a podcast where we have the entire landscape to be able to play this out This, this is what the people subscribe for we can let it breathe a yeah, little bit on here, yeah. you know. <laughs> so, look, I, I was
0: surprised—not surprised. I mean, I, I look at the beginning of this thing, I, I predicted it would be a suspension, and then I, I sort of backed off of that and figured, you know, at, and and changed my minds at different points. But when it got down to it, like in a way, a suspension is a half measure that doesn't make sense to me, really. Like either you're going to say, look. We stand behind Urban Meyer. We don't believe – we either don't believe the accusations that were levied against Zach Smith in terms of the domestic violence, or we don't believe that Urban Meyer knew the information that would have merited a firing. And we stand by Urban Meyer, and this is an unfortunate situation, but he did no wrong, and he's back. Or you say, we are disappointed – in the way urban Meyer handled information regarding domestic violence. And we're disappointed in the way. And and because of that, we believe it's time to move on. And and because of the dishonesty he showed throughout the process, we're forced to move on. Um, And instead they said, urban Meyer kind of screwed up, but ultimately it's okay. And here's three games. He's still part of our family. To me that like, that's, I don't know that that, Necessarily squares with me. Like that doesn't make sense to me fully. Um, I think through this process, Urban Meyer comes out of this looking bad because of how. Like, remove the domestic violence allegations from the equation for just a second here.
1: Which is tough. Which is tough. Which but, is but very like, tough.
0: I just want. To, I want to look at this in a vacuum of who Zach Smith was based on everything else other than domestic, the, the domestic violence, and based on everything else. Zach Smith is not a hireable football coach. Right. He's not a guy you want on your staff. And Urban Meyer has known Zach Smith since he was in college, and he's been a coach on Zach – Zach Smith has coached under Urban Meyer for the better part of the last nine years. Like he's coached basically seven of the last nine years, ten years. So that he was willing to have a coach that is has such poor judgments on his staff, I think is the biggest damning aspect of this Urban Meyer deal. And I think it's it's very hypocritical of Urban Meyer, given all the, the rhetoric that he produces uh, about core values. Now, that said, those things, minus the domestic violence again, don't necessarily, I don't think, again, this all depends on what the investigation found and what Urban Meyer can be proved to have known. I don't think those things are fireable. I, th- I think ultimately what this boils down to, though, what is fireable is the domestic violence allegations, how things were handled there. And I think ultimately if you really look at this and you look at what Ohio State's saying and you look at what Urban Meyer's saying, and I'll get to the statement and the, uh, and the apology, quote-unquote, in a minute. But ultimately, if you read between the lines here, Ohio State is saying we don't believe Courtney Smith. Now you can, you can say that's – Defensible or not, you can – I'm not saying I agree with that or not. I'm just saying that's what Ohio State is saying is we don't believe the like – because if, if you believe the allegations, if you believe that Zach Smith was abusing Courtney Smith and and that if the allegations are legitimate, then you have to believe then in some capacity. Urban Meyer knew about that, and at that point, there, it's it is – in the position he's in, he's called to act on that, and he didn't. So uh, to me that's what this sort of like and, and this what this sort of this gets down to that is Ohio State and Urban Meyer are saying without saying it and as close as they can possibly do without saying it is we believe Zach Smith's version of these events over Courtney Smith's and therefore Urban Meyer is we, we, you know we'll let him continue to coach our program cuz he's going to win football games right
1: Yeah I mean uh, uh, like this is to me the there there were fireable offenses for zack smith outside of um the domestic violence there was the relationship multiple. with multiple multiple um and the fact that it was enabled like as when the report came out and we start to get into the details of what the investigation found about Zach Smith in particular it it unfortunately painted a picture where, even when I was trying to be as sympathetic to urban Meyer like i as a thought experiment, I was like okay so let's let's put myself in his head and let's try and see you know how he could have misread or mishandled this situation." And this is it just saddens me to think that Zach Smith had so much wrong. I mean famously Barton Simmons called him a turd. No one has described him more ap- applicably <laughs> he is a turd, but it's like there was so much going on that i I wonder if even the the most hurtful actions which were violence alleged violence against Courtney Smith that if that almost just got. You know, knocked down or whether it was there was just like an oversaturation of of bad zach smith either stories or allegations and you know the that speaks to number one urban meyer just not getting it like it was like he just is not in tune with what matters and that's my big takeaway here because he he was probably like yeah you know zach's a troubled kid but i believe in him and you know, that's that's like the way that your relatives or or someone will talk about uh, you know, a kid or a cousin and and there might be a long list of troubles and one could be way worse than the other, but because there is a long list, it's just all getting uh thrown under the umbrella of oh, he's just a troubled kid and the inability to recognize the hurt that Zack Smith was causing to another human being and to continue to enable him for so long. Uh I think that that is a very damning criticism of Urban Meyer it makes any time that he tries to preach any of his his character messages he he has lost all credibility on that standpoint and I just I see I see him as someone who has spent so much time insulated in in college football he understands college football but I'm I'm not sure that he's uh I'm not sure he's as much of the the, the great human being, understander, communicator, as he's tried to make himself out to be.
0: Well, the, look, Urban Meyer comes out of this thing looking terrible because yes. ultimately, and 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 I think, in this all of his, his own doing. I mean, the way he handled Big Ten media days, the and and then he had an opportunity here in his response to to these findings and to this ruling to to salvage some of the integrity here by just
1: being... Apologetic. Just, apologetic. Be, just be apologetic.
0: be And being like, I always use this word, but like being a little bit authentic. And maybe authentic is just sort of a, maybe that doesn't mean anything to it. maybe, Maybe the authentic Urban Meyer is this like win robot, right? And so and that's why he's a great coach. But our boy Will Brinson had a great tweet. And a lot of people sort of, sort of dance around this too, but like, you know, Brinson tweeted, just watch the fuller Meyer statement apology. He sounded like a 15 year old being grounded for smoking. He mumbled his way through it and clearly looked annoyed at being disciplined. What a sham. That's right. Like that was a clearly that statements that he made, the prepared statement where he read from a piece of paper was clearly a, I am pissed off that I'm disciplined here. There's no reason I should be def- um, suspended. I'm going to stand up here and I'm going to read this statement. I'm going to apologize to Buckeye Nation, but doggone it, this is ridiculous. And I and I like it, it was just a and like he. It's like he still doesn't get that he screwed up here and that this is his, like he, he. This is his fault. Right. He could have gotten rid of Zach Smith. Like regardless, again, like even if he doesn't believe and and, and he feels that the allegations against Zach Smith are unfounded and 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 false he should have gotten rid of zach smith like that's not debatable he should have gotten rid of zach smith at several different points and he kept him. and and now this is all fallen at his feet and this is the bed he made and he and he was he was pissed off that he had to apologize and like just go up there and say and and again i'll i'll, I'll steal this idea from bruce feldman who tweeted this like just speak generally about domestic violence Speak generally about how important that problem is right now and how seriously it needs to be taken and, and how this needed to be something that, that was addressed differently and that he handled things poorly and say, I've made, you know, like just be, and, and rip up the paper and just talk. And, and he didn't do that. And it's just another I just think you can throw like, look, you can say Urban Meyer is the greatest coach of all time, and he is one of them. But you just the all the I'm, you know, all the core value stuff is worth milch at this point. Like it's just it doesn't it doesn't resonate at all with the Urban Meyer that has been presented to us by Urban Meyer over the last two months.
1: Here is Urban Meyer's response when asked if he had a message for Courtney Smith.
2: What message do you have for Courtney Smith? Well, I have a message for everyone involved in this. I'm sorry that we're in this situation. And
0: uh, I'm just sorry we're in this situation.
1: Are you kidding me?
0: I know. like You know you're going to get asked that, man.
1: Are you, like, you know, kidding like, me? Of all the questions, you know you're going to get. asked. That answered. was the low point for me. I mean, and that's why I said, yeah. like, I I, want, I feel like we should we can hit on the press conference, we can hit on the fallout. You know, we can hit on what does this mean for the team. But like, like the press conference was as damning as the report to me because Ohio State looked completely unapologetic to the situation that Courtney, to a human being, was in when they had an opportunity to at least intervene a little bit more, you know?
0: Yeah. And, and again, like I think people are, are, are attacking urban Meyer for not sort of expressing sympathy to and for Courtney Smith. And I think what, what urban Meyer did there in that statement again like he that is his way of saying as clearly as he can without actually saying it i don't believe courtney smith is a victim and and look whether you believe that or not urban meyer like that's not the way to respond to that question yeah it's just a it's just a un it's again it is sort of it just makes you kind of wonder, like, all right, like as smart as this guy is, like, how can you have that poor judgment?
1: The um, I ultimately I, I think that they started with a result, and then they tried to figure out the way to to line everything together. Like they, because like, you you mentioned you said the suspension feels like some kind of compromise between uh, firing a coach that Ohio State was not wanting to fire. And just totally letting him off the hook, which is what Urban Meyer wanted. And they just they they had to figure out some way to connect the dots. And there's a couple of troubling things in the report. There is um, a, a phrase which acknowledges that, or and again the the report acknowledges. This is not Chip Patterson or the this podcast acknowledging. The report acknowledges and makes a point to say that Urban Meyer has difficulty remembering things with which he once had extensive knowledge and also uh, mentions that Urban Meyer was consulted on how to adjust his cell phone so that text messages from longer than a year ago are no longer kept and deleted. And when he handed his phone over to investigators, there was no record of messages beyond a one-year length. That, to, like, that to me says that this isn't over, and that those details to me suggest that all Urban Meyer has done with his defiancy is opened himself up to increased scrutiny that might not catch up to him for a year and a half or two years. But that that like borderline that cleaning those those acts of cleaning up your tracks stink to me
0: yeah like that's the let me ask you this because this is let's ask you this do you do you think he like when you see the findings of this or the the results and the punishment like do you disagree like do you think he should have been fired and obviously we don't know i mean we can read the, the report but we don't know the details but do you believe that he should have been fired
1: I think yes, I how about this? If his name is not Urban Meyer with a national championship and two more to his name and a thirty-eight million dollar buyout, I think he is fired.
0: Well yeah, the thirty-eight million dollar buyout if, if it's just certainly the, factors in. Yeah, yeah, that's what
1: I'm saying. Like if it's just the actions, like if that's what right. you're saying, if it's just the information in the report, I I think I'll go as far as to say this. There's 129 head football coaches in FBS. I think 121 of them, if not more, are would have been fired
0: right so given what we know about given what we know like i don't I'm, I'm sitting here and i'm i'm sort of disappointed in urban meyer but i don't i'm not i don't think he should have been fired in the legal sense right like if if but you know yes, you
1: don't have to you don't have to break a law to be fired no you don't but well but you have to but again that would be the university you, saying our like that would be the university saying our integrity is worth thirty eight million. We will pay right. thirty eight million to to make a statement by saying that this this behavior and this enabling is not acceptable for the leader of our football program.
0: Right, right. And so I, I think where I'm at, and that's a, that's a fair point. I think where I'm at is given the thirty eight million dollar buyout, given the given the the positive impact that urban Meyer has had on the, on the campus and on the program, because look, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and deny the fact that he has made an effort to, you know, really push off the field life after football stuff. I, I think, I don't necessarily think he should have been fired. Like I'm okay with him not being fired based on what we know to be true. And, and I think it's defensible I think ultimately what it boils down to for me is like, I just come away with a much lower opinion of urban Meyer as a person. And I just think the, the, the the way he reacted to things throughout the process, whether it was trying to cover his tracks and text messages, whether it was his response, you know, his statement after the, the, the rulings were found last night, whether it was his answer to that question about Courtney Smith, whether it was, you know, big 10 media days, every step of the way, Urban Meyer looks worse to me as a just as a person. Like I would be less inclined to send my son to play for Urban Meyer. Right. Uh, you know. So, but what does that mean that he, from a legal standpoint, like again, I'm kind of looking at it from a legal standpoint. It's tough to it's tough to put myself in in the shoes of Ohio State president and board, but from a legal standpoint, I don't necessarily think a firing was merited. Um, and I don't know, they could have fired him with cause, but I just I'm just sort of disappointed in, in Urban Meyer.
1: Um I don't it's also like this is a, a good point. You know, we we're we're saying this from Nashville and Raleigh. Uh think things are very different in Columbus. And the messaging was, you know, us against the world, batting down the hatches. And I I would be a fool to think that that doesn't extend to university leaders and decision makers. Um it's what's I mean like national outrage won't fire a coach if the local scene is still behind him and I think I think a lot of I think a lot of the people that would have had to pony up the money to get Urban Meyer out of there had no interest in trying to find a new football coach after Urban do, Meyer.
0: Do you think that there is a uh do you think that there is a an Ohio State fan, just like a just an average fan, anywhere that was hoping Urban Meyer would get fired? No, like I, I'm, yeah, like I don't, I, don't, I kind of don't think so either. And I don't know that that's. And look, I, there might be one or two, but in most of these situations, there is at least some level of division within the fan base. I I would be surprised if anybody. In the Ohio State fan base, given what we know, wanted Urban Meyer fired. So to that point, given that the Ohio State fan base is going to welcome him back, given that he's probably going to keep on winning a lot of games, I'm curious sort of what the lasting impact here will be, whether this will be forgotten eight games in the year, next year, or whether this will just continue to be a black cloud over Urban Meyer indefinitely. I, I, I That's really a hard for me to envision. I, I just I don't... I don't know. Do you have a do you have a take on that?
1: I mean, just from the media standpoint, I I think that this has opened him up to just make everyone's going to dig. Like he he better be running everything crystal clean like above the board or as much as you can because uh I I think that as if as if Urban Meyer didn't have enough enemies out there, there there's going to be um there are going to be efforts that are made to double check everything by people who believe he got away with one here. Right. And that's, you know, it's, it's tough to run everything completely clean. Right.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, but yeah, I mean, Hey, this is, this is certainly his last, like his last strike, you know I mean? There's, I don't know. I mean, the guy's going to keep winning.
1: All right. So let's like that's let's, let's take this, uh, recruiting in impact TBD, but your hunch is that, you know, he's going to keep on recruiting the top players in the country. Ohio state's going to have a good class pretty much every single year. I think
0: so. I mean, he's as, he's as good as there is in the country as a head coach recruiter. That's the reason that they're successful at, at recruiting is, is they have a good staff. Don't get me wrong. But the reason that Ohio state is so dominant in recruiting is because they have one of the best two or three head coach recruiters in the game. And he's going to, be as motivated ever to continue that I think obviously there is a there is a an Achilles heel heel now that's emerged there is a a chink in the armor that opposing programs can really lean on and and a pressure point they can push on you know how long that extends beyond this we'll see like I don't expect any of their current class to defect Um, but so I don't know. And it's just very – like they're going to recruit at a high level. And does that mean that this drops them from contending to number one to contending for top five? I mean that's that's still a drop. So in that sense, hey, maybe it does have an impact. But ultimately, while there may be a player or two that is is influenced by this or a family or two, generally my expectation – is that a hey, winning will take care of things and they'll, there won't be a, there won't be much of a, much of an across the board drop off.
1: All right. What about on the field for this year? He will not be on the sidelines for the first three games. He will take part in the game planning for week two and week three, which does include that big matchup against TCU. So Ryan day will be the interim coach for those three games. Um, Are are you changing your expectations at all for what you're expecting to see from Ohio State?
0: I I mean, my expectation has been that Ohio. I I think I was a little bit lower on Ohio State than others. Like I kind of see ten and two and not winning the East. Um, but so, like, I don't know that I. I think I still think they'll beat TCU. I guess. Um. Does this help TCU ever so slightly? Yeah, and in a game of inches, as we say, like yeah, like that, that. Hey, I think TCU's could could beat Urban Meyer before all this mess, and now they certainly, you know, that that, that didn't hurt it, their chances. So, I, th- I think my answer though is that this will not have a profound impact on the uh, outcome of their season. They're going to be what they are with Ryan Day at the head coach. If Ryan Day was the head coach the whole year that wasn't gonna have a they were gonna significant win they,
1: they were gonna win ten games if ryan day if if urban meyer was fired and ryan day was the head coach for the entire season they were going ten and two right yeah too good I, and and not to mention and this is something that came out um and it did i don't know sorry i don't mean to say it like came out like it but it was it was brought up as a point here like ryan day had had nfl o c offers right ryan day might have had the opportunity Uh, to go get a head coaching job this past coaching cycle. So this is this is uh, a great opportunity for him. I mean, you you hate to find like you don't hate to find any upside in a story that can be this grim and dismal. But you know, if there is one, um, you know, you're looking at Ryan Day, a coach on the rise, who's got a big opportunity right here. And I, based on him being a you know he he played. Uh, for Chip Kelly at New Hampshire, you know he's he's sort of been coming up. Uh, he's been tapped. You know, he he gets passed along to all the good offensive head coaches. Yeah, you know, I I would still expect even if Ryan Day had been the interim for the whole season, the team's too good to think that the bottom's going to fall out and this is going to be like the Luke Fickle six and six year. It's just not happening.
0: Uh, look, I think Ryan Day. You look at what Lincoln Riley did at Ohio at, uh, at Oklahoma. I think that. Ryan Day is considered by some to be that kind of a rising star. So if if Ryan Day, if you just hand him the keys, there, I think that there is Lincoln Riley. Uh, how should I phrase this? Like the path is there. There's like a yeah. Like there's like yeah. There's like a there's like a Lincoln Riley scenario in play. Yeah. And so so to that to that point, like I I don't think anybody should be sort of you know, crying in the tears for Ohio State because they gotta, they gotta survive the Ryan Day three game tenure.
1: <laughs> um, but you know what, you know what this, you know what last night had me going to bed thinking, what I think Michigan's gonna win that game. <laughs> yeah, I, mean,
0: I'm, I look, man. i I was like, I'm. We'll we'll talk to Lorenz about Michigan here shortly my um, I've, I've made my Michigan beliefs known I am terrified of picking Michigan because they could lose week one and it'll all come crashing down but um, but yeah this is another situation like it doesn't Michigan ain't, Michigan ain't cry for Ohio State right now they'll take what's going on
1: I mean and like uh <laughs> it's Harbaugh's naming his quarterback. He's holding open practices like Ohio State because of the scandal has totally iced the media out and Harbaugh's like like more than happy to play the other side of the coin in this situation.
0: <laughs> right, this is he, he's got to just be loving this. Like, dude, like, there's such a there's such a like a magnifying glass on him and right now he's just sitting in the cut just you know, practicing with Shea Patterson, trying to get these the the oils greased, the the wheels greased up. Um, he's he's got to be just drinking milk, like double shots of milk every night right now.
1: I mean, at the risk of oversimplifying, again, what is a very complex, disappointing, and sad situation at Ohio State? It it the, comparing those two rivals right now, it's like um, they're siblings. And one of them is getting lectured at the table while Jim Harbaugh is doing the dishes and sweeping the floor. Like, that's,
0: that's a great comparison. That's exactly what. No, 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 no,
1: happening. guys, don't get up, don't get up. I got this. I'll go. I'll uh, go get the dishes yeah. started. Yeah, uh,
0: Harbaugh's in there watching cartoons while uh while Urban's got to like mop the floor and do the dishes because he you know he he screwed up today. Yeah. Yes.
1: Oh man. <laughs> um. All right. You uh. You ready to go around the world? Go around the world, brother. Around the world, around the world. And we turn our attentions to Baton Rouge and the LSU Tigers and who else to go to than uh the man. Shay Dixon, 24-7 sports. Uh Shay, let's we we gotta start with uh, the one position that has been Uh, troublesome for LSU in terms of being able to uh, be truly threatening offensively it is the quarterback position but they've got somebody in Joe Burrow coming from Ohio State Uh, what is your belief and this can be two different answers if you want Uh, what is your belief in terms of what Joe Burrow can be for LSU and then also you know maybe after that do do the coaches believe in him as well
3: yeah, I think
4: Chip, the the coaches are at a point where they're going to have to believe in him. Um, with Miles yeah. Brennan, the only other scholarship quarterback on roster, Burrow's going to be the guy this year. And, you know, I don't, when I look at player comps, if we're just sticking with LSU, I think that he's probably um, a guy with a little more upside, obviously, but a, a Danny Etling type, or at least right now to where Danny was last year, a guy who. Really controlled the game with, uh, with how he operated from under center and didn't turn the ball over much. And uh, I, When I look at Burrow, Chip, I look at a guy who in high school was Mr. Ohio and he had a 9.2 to 1 touchdown to interception ratio. Um, he was a 68% passer in high school. In the spring games at Ohio State, he was in the the high 60s as a passer. And in the college games he played, he was in the 70s as a passer. So that's an uptick from where LSU's been with uh, in recent years at quarterback. So I think that right away they want him to to be a guy who maybe has a a year similar to Zach Mettenberger in his first year when, you know, he didn't blow up that that first year playing, but it was his second year where he really shined. And uh, I think we saw that a bit with Stidham last year, right? Maybe this is a similar situation to where there are high expectations and you'll see some hiccups at times, but he could go into the following year in 2019 as one of the more talked about quarterbacks in the conference. So he's not there yet. I think that they want to really just make sure that he can manage the game for him and more so than ever which will be interesting I think that they're going to really throw the football and we've heard that time and again with LSU but Steve Insminger is the offensive coordinator now and he's gone to this kind of shotgun RPO attack so much different from Matt Canada's jet sweeps and Les Miles's eye formations and uh, I think for me it boils down to they didn't only go get Burrow because they needed someone who could throw the ball around and feel comfortable about a you know, a guy who was already 21 years old and had been in a college program, but they don't really have a bell cow running back. And they've been so used to that. And because of that, they're going to have to move the ball around to one of their more talented groups on offense, which is the wide receivers. And two guys we ranked as five stars on 24-7 sports, Terrace Marshall and Jamar Chase, will probably both be in the starting lineup when they play Miami. And Jonathan Giles, obviously from Texas Tech, and Justin Jefferson, who is the third Jefferson to play at LSU, Jordan and Ricky's younger brother. Uh those are the four guys I circle that will be their most productive receivers this year. And this team will probably go at least offensively as far as those four guys at Burrow can take them.
0: So that that's a I think a good, honest answer. And and yet like it's that doesn't exactly leave me super stoked about this offense you're not like waving the flag that like joe burrow's gonna come in and be some savior which leads i think to the next question all right well how steep is this drop off at running back because if you're sitting here saying okay joe burrow's good player but maybe this is year one in like a two-year progression for him then you gotta lean on that running back or that run game a little bit and the the big names aren't there so help me get a grip on Where the run game is and what kind of talent is in that backfield for the first time in a long time, there's not a no-brainer first rounder.
4: Yeah, I mean there isn't a right or or a no-brainer. The no will play in the NFL with not even a not even a Fournette or Geist or Daryl Williams or Jeremy Hill or Alfred Blue. You know, Spencer Ware. You could go down the line of guys they've had that weren't Fournette Mm -hmm. or Geist, but were still really high-level running backs. They don't have that, at least not proven. So. Clyde edwards Elaire will be their starter. Um, for me, he's a lot better. Look, we had him as a top 247 guy. We weren't sleeping on him, but he's a 5'8 kid, and, and we weren't sure um, if he would ever be in every down back, and I think there'll be a committee approach because of it, but he's their lead guy. He played some as a freshman last year. He catches the ball well out of the backfield, which I think they'll do a good bit of uh, this fall, so he's your your number one guy, but you're number two and three, guys. You're in this position, Barton, uh, where what you know Nick Brissett's a senior now. And I can remember in high school, he went through 10th and 11th grade with everyone wondering, was it Geis or Brissett being the better back? And ultimately, Geis you know, finishes the higher rank back and certainly had the, the better college career. So they're waiting for Brissett, who's a very patient runner. Uh, that's the best way to describe him, um, to really have that breakthrough season. And if it's not him. Look out for Chris Curry. This is a kid who is a true freshman. They knew they were going to have to recruit some guys to play after missing on Cam Akers and Travis Etienne and some others. And Curry was, I believe he was a top 10 running back on 24-7 sports last year coming out of Florida. And and they really like his physical running style. Kind of compare him in in ways to Marshawn Lynch. That's who he models his game after. He's very much a a between-the-tackles, pinball type of runner. And they're going to put him sort of baptism by fire. They want to play him early and if Brissett, you know, if he's not able to answer the call, I think they feel good about Edwards-Elair, but if Brissett's not able to to deliver at the level they're used to, they're going to be playing Curry a good pit, but I don't think we see this year, look, we got so used to Fournette, 27 touches a game, Guys, 25 touches a game, this will be a committee approach where I would bet Clyde Edwards-Elair through catching the ball or running it will touch it 15 or 16 times a game, and then they'll get Brissett and Curry involved, but more so than ever because they don't have a real answer there. They're gonna to have to move the ball around, which is why I think that they were excited about being able to go out and get Joe Burrow because they feel confident that he can at least manage a game and, and be careful with the football. And and certainly as the son of a, a defensive coordinator at the college level and all his brothers played at Nebraska. Um he's got a high football IQ. He knows what's needed for this offense to work and uh, it's going to go through him they they're not going to be able to sit back and just run the ball this season at least not in the traditional sense that we've been used to with LSU football
1: Shay Dixon at Shay Dixon on Twitter go dot com. Shay thank you very much
4: Thanks for having me guys Around the world around
1: the world And now we go to Austin Horns 247 and Jeff Howe covering Texas Longhorns. Uh, you've, you've been on this show before. You've given us incredible insight. And we don't, at this point, have to talk about a quarterback competition because Tom Herman has already named Sam Ellinger as the starting quarterback for week one against Maryland. Uh, so, I guess we can go big picture offense, Jeff. What, how do you feel like we will see some changes or what are your expectations for the next step in the evolution of this Longhorns offense with Ellinger at the quarterback position?
3: Well, see, you know, I, I think it's going to be better, but I guess better is a relative term. You know, you look at the offensive line, for example. Um, you know, if Texas is below average this year, uh, that's a pretty big step forward from abysmal, which is what Texas <laughs> was last year, especially when when Connor Williams was out of the lineup. And I think, you know, when you look at, and I think when you talk about this offense, I think that's where it starts. It starts up front, and with Calvin Anderson, Tom Herman's already. Given him kind of the starting left tackle spot, unless something you know crazy happens between now and, and kickoff uh, at FedEx Field on September first. Uh, but with Calvin Anderson at left tackle, Patrick Vahy at left guard, Zach Shackelford at center, Elijah Rodriguez at right guard, and then if Derek Kerstetter holds off Sam Cosme and wins the right tackle job, you've got 98 combined career starts at the FBS level between those five offensive linemen and, and a left side of the offensive line with Vahy and, and Anderson, uh, that should be a strength for you. So I, I think, you know, I think to me, the ceiling for this Texas offensive line, I think if they can get to average, which I think is the best case scenario, you're miles ahead of where you were last year. I think with the running game, uh, I think they've got three backs that they actually like. I think with Danny Young, uh, Trey Watson, the grad transfer from Cal, and then Keontae Ingram, who you know, I think next year, maybe the year after, once he's spent some time in the strength program and his body molds stuff a little bit, you'll be able to see some noticeable differences. But I think just the juice he brings to that position, uh, understanding the nuances of the passing game the way he does very high football IQ kit. I think they like their three backs, the wide receiver position underperformed last year, but they made some changes in the offseason there. Uh, and then you, you bring it back to, to quarterback. And I think if Sam Ellinger, uh, you know, I think the big question with Sam Ellinger is this. The mistakes he made last year were those freshman mistakes that with a year to learn the offense, a year to process film, a year to really understand the position, uh, do some of those go away or do we see those same mistakes? He's still going to make those mistakes because all young quarterbacks do, but does he cut down on some of those turnovers and is Texas in a better position uh, to go close out some games because they were pretty much in every game they played last year? All
0: right, so this, this question will be a little more, big picture in a way and, and I guess it, it speaks to your expectations but but also I'm just curious what's the fan base's expectation like what will this fan base tolerate in terms of record by the end of this year because we all like every year we're talking about is this going to be the breakout year for Texas and and it seems like they always show signs and then kind of disappoints and like does this team have to go nine and three is is seven and five just totally unacceptable like wh- what is the what is the fan base's expectation and how does that jive with with I think reality and a realistic expectation you know Barton it, it's interesting I, I think the roles have
3: almost reversed if you look at the end of the Mac Brown era I think everybody in Austin around this program the fan base they were almost kind of waiting to say okay surely you know yeah last year was bad but surely this is the year where they're going to win 10 or 11 and, and be in the mix for the big 12 title and it never happened. And I think the roles are almost reversed. It almost feels like the national media can feel it. The Texas, okay, at some point, they're going to turn it around. Uh, and I think locally, just being around the program, being in Austin, the pulse of the fan base, it's like, look, I mean, we're a long way away from predicting that 10 or 11 win season. Uh, I think last year was a good step. And I don't think anybody was happy with 6 and 6. But I think the good step for this program, and this shows you just how bad it got under Charlie Strong. The fact that they were in every game in the fourth quarter with the chance to win was a really big step in the right direction and I think when you look back at last year, you know had they not had a just an awful you know quarter and a half in the middle of the Maryland game uh and, and kind of fell asleep at the wheel in the fourth quarter of the Texas Tech game. Uh, they're an eight-win team in the regular season last year, so I think if you if they're eight and four, and I said this last year, eight and four was going to be a really good record for that team. I think the same thing this year. I think eight and four, and I think if they've if they get to eight in the regular season with the chance to finish with nine in a bowl game, that that's something you can sell to the fan base because I think an eight-win Texas team that means you beat uh, a USC an Oklahoma, a TCU, somebody of that ilk to where you know, it, Tom Herman can hang his hat on having a signature win. I think, Barton, to me, that's the big thing. It's not necessarily the win total per se, but I think if you're eight, nine with a bowl game and one of those wins is one of those signature victories that, can really, that the fan base can really get behind, uh, then I think that that'll make everybody feel like this thing's headed in the right direction.
1: Wow, you're right. National media is way higher on Texas than local. Everyone's, everyone's looking at Ellinger and we're just excited. We, I, I think I'm out here on this podcast. Uh, I'm, it sounds like I might be making a fool of myself thinking that Sam, Sam Ellinger can make a run at uh, big 12 offensive player of the year.
0: Chip, we've talked each other into <laughs> Ellinger, man.
1: We're, we we're, we're <laughs> leading the Ellinger fan club. Jeff's just put, man, is that, is that off? <laughs> No,
3: I, I think I, I don't think you guys are necessarily wrong on Sam Ellinger when you just look at the landscape of Big 12 quarterbacks. I mean, outside of Will Greer, uh, you know who do you really trust? I mean, the, you know we think it's going to be plug-and-play with Kyler Murray at Oklahoma. Do you trust Kyle Kemp at Iowa State, uh, one of the two kids at K-State that's going to win that job? Now, I think Sam Ellinger's got really just as good a chance as anybody to, to be the, the number two or three quarterback in this league. But, again, I think it just goes back with him there were just so many just egregious mistakes he made at times last year it's were those just freshman mistakes that he's going to grow out of or now do we really start to see a more mature football player who's able to take care of the ball manage situations better and if he just does that i think that's going to make the difference in two or three of those games that were you know fourth quarter last possession type games last year
1: jeff howe horns 247 you can follow him on twitter at jeff howe 247 jeff thank you very much sir anytime guys around the world. And we have landed in Ann Arbor, Michigan, where Steve Lorenz is right there with all the information that we need on the Michigan Wolverines. Steve, let's let's talk. Let's, let's have some. Let's take some deep breaths and let's talk about the football aspects of the Big Ten and the Big Ten East right now. Um, the when when Shea Patterson was named the starting quarterback, a couple of things stood out to me. Number one, it was going contrary to what I had become used to with Jim Harbaugh, who would love to you know keep all of that information so close. To to the point where you know we're we're waiting to see which quarterback has taken snaps before the season opener, and so you know I I was wondering aloud if if maybe this was as much a move for the team in the locker room, and so I want to pose this to you: What is your from your vantage point? Uh, how has Shea Patterson assimilated into the Michigan football culture?
2: I think he's assimilated really well because he's he's good. That's one thing. Uh, I think these are a a group of players that know that this is a year that that could possibly be a big one for them. And so I think they want the best possible option under center. Uh, He's it. I think Harbaugh naming him the starter early, as you said, it's out of character for him. I think that's significant that he did so. I mean, they're even holding an open practice on Sunday at Michigan Stadium. I mean, it's like a bizarro world right now as far as uh, preseason type stuff for them goes. I mean, this is way out of the ordinary uh, to me, I think it's an indication that Jim Harbaugh is really comfortable with the team. I think they like where the, they're at heading into South Bend, and uh, Patterson's obviously a big piece of that. Uh, he's had a great fall camp, from everything we know. Uh, was I mean, I think we all could agree he was probably going to be the guy, regardless, barring something uh, maybe significant. I know, I know, Barton's always been high on Brandon, Brandon Peters. Always. I think like Brandon Peters has a bright future, you know. And uh, but I still think that Patterson was probably going to be the guy. Uh, barring some unforeseen uh, situations there, so uh, yeah, I think it's a, a definitely an indication that the locker room is behind him. I know Tariq Black had a lot of great things to say about his leadership ability, his work ethic, uh, and and his command in the huddle uh, during his availability earlier this week. So uh, yeah, I think it's if you're a Michigan fan, that's great news that it, that uh, that they've already named him publicly. Again, I think it's the first time Harbaugh's done that uh, since he did with Andrew Luck, and back at back at Stanford. I don't even know if he did it in the NFL. I could be wrong there, but. Uh, as far as college, college goes in that Michigan, this is a new thing for him to do that. I think it speaks to uh, where they think this season could go.
0: So obviously, the quarterback position was one that needed to be figured out. but but really, if you look at the Michigan roster, really there's really only one other sort of question mark and that's offensive line. So I'm curious as the season approaches, how confident are you, in an improved offensive line, what, where do you think that they're at? Like, what are the what are the ingredients here and the the aspects at play that that you're kind of paying attention to in terms of like what this offensive line will be this fall?
2: Well, I think the interior is strong. Uh, I think they have four really good players in the interior uh, with Ruiz, Cesar Ruiz in the middle. I think he's a potential All Big Ten level player this year Uh, he was great as a true freshman last year Ben Bredesen uh, is a guy has been a mainstay it's his third year as a starter but really actually maybe the guy who has responded best uh, to the Ed Warner addition at the offensive line coach spot Um, is a guy I think is really going to take off this year again but has been a quality player for them for two years and then at right guard you know was an ongoing battle between Michael Anwenu and uh, Steven Spinellis who, again, I think Spinellis is their sixth best offensive lineman, uh, or whoever loses that battle, I suppose, would be number six and would probably be first in at any of the interior spots if somebody else goes down. Uh, so they're I think in the interior, I think they're pretty solid. I think the questions are at tackle where they sort of have been. Uh, I think Mason Cole was always really good, never great. Uh, I don't know if they have that at this point. Uh, John Runyon at junior is the guy that we have pegged at left tackle. Uh, The one thing about him, he was the top performer. They did their uh, spring camp, sort of like a combine style workout. And they released those numbers publicly. Uh, Runyon was like at the top at every one of those categories. So the athleticism with him is definitely there. Uh, I think it's a matter of has the light gone on for him. I know he had a great spring. And it sounds like he's continued it with a great fall. Um, and on the right side, that's another battle, too. Uh, I think James Hudson, the uh, retro freshman out of Toledo, I think we had him graded as a defensive lineman. Michigan moved him to offensive line last year. Uh, he'd be my pick right now just because that battle so close between him and Juwan Bushel Beatty. I think they would probably go with youth there um, and upside, I would imagine. I mean, that's what I would do. But, uh, they, you know, they're obviously going to try to put the best five out there. So really to me, the interior I think is going to be pretty strong. Uh, I think it's up to the tackle position. Uh, I know Barton would like to hear, I think Jalen Mayfield is contended at left tackle too. I think running will definitely be the starter, but Mayfield has come in and impressed right away as well. I know we had him a lot higher uh, than the composite. So, uh, so I think there's, it's kind of a situation where I think the depth and the youth is finally starting to build there. Um, But tackle is going to be a question mark. I think might be some growing pains there maybe another reason why Patterson is such a natural fit uh, for them as, as a guy who can get out of the pocket and make plays, you know, if the pocket does break down. So, uh, but again, the other thing too, uh, Ed Warner has been a great addition. Uh, not heard one bad word about what he's done. I think simplification has been like the buzzword of the offseason on the offensive line, simpler schemes. I think the, under Tim Drebno, I think things were sometimes so overly complicated that even the veteran linemen didn't really know, uh, maybe what was going on at all times, uh, amazingly enough. So, uh, so yeah, I, I agree, though. I think, you know, the receivers struggled last year, but I think that there's going to be a huge step up from multiple guys there. So I do I agree with Barton that the offensive line is uh, probably still the big question mark. And I think it's on the outside more than the inside uh, where that question is going to remain.
1: Do you have a game pick for Notre Dame yet? Uh,
2: I think they're better. Uh, then Notre Dame, uh, it's just the question is they haven't won a game on the road of this magnitude in, since I went to Michigan. That was like 10, 12 years ago. I mean, it's been forever since uh, they've won a big game on the road. But I do think the advantage, I think their defense against Notre Dame's offense, there'd be a bigger gap than vice versa. Uh, is going to take a couple steps forward this year. Uh, I have them winning. I'll oh, buy a touchdown, maybe like a 21-14 to 14
1: type oh, yeah. game or something
2: along those lines.
1: Yeah, so. that's what I'm thinking. Let's go 20-13, 21-14. Yeah. Let's keep it low. All right, he yep. is Steve Lorenz. You I can agree. follow him on Twitter at TremendousUM, uh, Michigan 24-7 Sports. Thank you so much.
5: Yep, thanks, guys. Around the world of-
1: to Athens, Georgia, where we're going to be discussing the Georgia Bulldogs. And, and there is no one else on the planet that I would rather have in to discuss the dogs than Rusty Mansell. You can follow him on Twitter, at Mansell247Rusty. Um, I The, the Georgia the Georgia practiced uh, the Georgia football program under Kirby Smart. You know, it's it's hard to get information out of there, and the <laughs> vibes around this program are very positive, coming off the SEC championship and the runner-up appearance in the college football playoff. So I. I want to maybe ask something that only you could pull out. You know, everyone's so excited, but I think there's a lot of unanswered questions. Where on the football Mm -hmm. field are you pointing to as a potential weakness, or if not a weakness, an area where Georgia has to be uh, really good or improved in order to repeat the success of last season?
5: Well, you know, I'll answer that in two ways. I think Georgia's roster is probably as good as it's ever been that I've really have followed them. I think this number one recruiting class in 2018, you know, brought these bodies in, these athletes, these guys. Barton, I think, would agree with this. Some questions that are never answered until the season gets going. My biggest concern at covering this team is who are the leaders? I mean, when you lose guys like Nick Chubb, Sonny Michelle, Roquan Smith, Davin Bellamy, and Lorenzo Carter, not only were those guys that were been in the program for four years, Roquan three. Those were clear leaders of that team. You look at the big plays they made last year, Davin Bellamy, Notre Dame, Lorenzo Carter, Rose Bowl, Tony Michelle, National Championship game, go on and on Roquan, that big hit against Oklahoma. Those guys not only did it on the field, but they were respected in the locker room. I think that was a lot of Georgia's success last year. Uh, My question is, who's going to be leaders? I think on the field, you look at who is going to replace, who's going to be that DB opposite a, a baker, who is going to be that guy opposite DeAndre Baker, Kyrie McGee. I thought had a chance. He's hurt now, so will it be you know Mark Webb, who is a converted wide receiver, or will it be freshman Tyson Campbell, who Bart and I are very familiar with? who's a really really good player, uh, one of the fastest players probably in the country coming out of high school. But you know, there's some concerns on the field, but I think covering them. Who is going to be that alpha? That can stand up and have the respect in the locker room when things aren't going, and also when those coaches aren't around. Who are those guys that are running that locker room? And that says a lot to what direction Georgia will go.
0: So you sort of touched on it a little bit um, in terms of some some guys that need to fill some some holes. But look, this mm-hmm. you mentioned it. this is the number one recruiting class in the country. Um, first time anybody's yep. had that title um, in the last seven years. It's not named Alabama. Robertson Robertson's also coming in now and immediately eligible. Yep. Where is there going to be an immediate impact from this mm-hmm. group of newcomers? Cuz certainly there's there's plenty of guys that are capable, but where based on what you're hearing in camp has have guys really flashed and are guys ready mm-hmm. to come come out of the gates guns blazing?
5: I think the one guy I think that's created the buzz, and me and you talked pretty – I've kept you kind of in the loop on this, is James Cook, the freshman running back out of Miami. And, look, we both saw him at the at Army the All-American game and weren't really quite sure if he was going to be going to Georgia. He was going to be that guy that's going to run between the tackles and all that kind of thing and what you see out of Georgia. But I think what he has brought to the table is – is, sounds like a very, very – and you talk about flashing. This is what this guy is doing. They're getting the ball in space. I heard he's still fast all day during practice. I heard some of the some of the GPS things, some of the rumors of the GPS that he might be the fastest player to end up practicing pads. And that's the science of today's game. But James Cook's a guy that I fully expect, especially with Zamir White going down, Georgia to have packages for him. Do what he does best, kind of that Alvin Kamara role. You know, he might get sixty or seventy yards rushing. He also might have 60-70 yards receiving and also return yards. So I think if you're looking for a true freshman that's going to be an instant impact, I think it's him. And I'll say this about Justin Fields. I have said the whole time that I think Jake Fromm is their guy. I think Jake Fromm is going to start. I think Jake Fromm is going to play the majority of the meaningful minutes for the Georgia Bulldogs. I will say this. I think that Justin Fields is going to be almost like what Tim Tebow did this freshman year when Chris Leak was their guy. They would bring him in in that red zone area. Remember all those big plays he made. Sometimes he made those first downs on Wildcat. Sometimes he made those jump passes. Sometimes he made throws. So Justin Fields might not play 15 plays a game. He might just play five or six plays a game, but he's going to make an impact for Georgia Barton. Yeah, I know you're a big Justin Fields guy. I am as well. What he brings athletically is a problem for teams in Georgia even with a great player like Jake Fromm, they're going to find a way to get him in. So I think two guys on the offense are going to make immediate impact for Georgia, and that would be James Cook and Justin Fields.
0: Could James Cook be, because DeAndre Smith is now taking over as the, mm. um, the true kind of carry the load back, yeah. could, could he step into that role? that DeAndre was in last year as that sort of maybe kind of jet sweep kind of all purpose type of guy that the, in the in the backfield cuz that was the thing we saw at the Army Bowl is will he run between the yeah. tackles I I even said yeah. like, I could see him being a wide receiver in 3 years um yeah. so he's yeah. got that and versatility no, he, James, 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 James. Yeah. yeah yeah I agree with you and let me cut you off there that I agree you know we we there was a being you kind of
5: laughed out but there was a lot of discussion about what we did with his ranking and and the reason we did is because of that. We didn't we, we weren't James Cook, not James Cook fans. We just weren't sure how he's gonna fit in the puzzle at Georgia. And I agree with you, you know, they got a lot of stuff to Miko Hardman last year, a lot of that jet sweep stuff. He scored on the on the Wildcat against Alabama late right before the half. I think you could see James Cook doing all that. I just think he's too talented. And again, you look at Alvin Kamar, who's Alvin Kamar is two hundred and twenty pounds now. So to be I'm careful there. But I know seeing him in high school, he was a 190-pound kid. And what he did was some of the same thing. He didn't have to have 160 yards a game rushing or 25 carries to impact you when you got that ability and that speed. So I think that's the way Georgia's going to use him is they're going to create space, they're going to get him the ball, and they'll let DeAndre Swift and Elijah Holyfield get those three, four, and five tough yards in there. Uh, and I think that Georgia's going to use him and what I'm hearing he has been very successful in fall
1: camp. He is Rusty Mansell. You can follow him on Twitter at Mansell247. Dogs 24-7. Rusty, you're the man. Thank you very much.
5: Thanks, guys, for having me. Around the world.
1: I mean, we like to talk about players that are buzzing, but there's some boots on the ground that are buzzing. And, and it's Ryan Abraham at Inside Troy on Twitter, uh, USCFootball.com. That's where you're going to find him. No one better to talk to about the Trojans than Ryan. So, Ryan, we, we got to start, of course, at the quarterback position. So, I'm going to ask you. Uh, so, if the floor is Heisman Trophy as a freshman and the ceiling is the greatest of all time, where exactly is JT Daniels in your mind right now? <laughs>
6: Yeah, he is poised. Uh, we don't know yet, but he's poised to be the first true freshman to start for USC since Matt Barkley did it. And if you remember, you know, Matt Barkley went on the road and beat Ohio State. That was a, that was a great win, but it wasn't like a, you know, crazy great season as far as stats go. I kind of get the feeling he's going to, JT Daniels to be in that category. They'll probably try to rely on his defense and run into the football a little bit more. He should be able to manage the game. Now we don't know yet. Uh, we, we saw our last practice before they're going to have a mock game this weekend, which is closed. So we're not going to see this team until uh, Tuesday. So it's weird. We usually we're down there every day. Um, but sometime over that span, I think Clay is going to meet with all the quarterbacks and, and the team and let them know who's going to win. My guess is JT Daniels, but that's out of my uh, that's out of my pay grade to make those kind of calls.
0: All right. So given that you just confirmed that JT Daniels is the greatest quarterback of all time, <laughs> uh, I, the, the next logical question here, Ryan, is I am – I am slowly but surely warming up to making a bold USC playoff prediction. Uh, I need you to tell me if I am just insane and and just need to need to lay off the sauce, or whether you're like, you know what, like I I see where you're coming from. Talk me off the ledge, or or, or push me over. Like I just, where am I at here? Because I I really think like when you look at if. if Look, freshman quarterbacks can do this. We've seen it the last couple years. And I've seen the way they've recruited. I know the talent that's bubbling up. So I'm curious how crazy you think I am and and where you're at with that kind of expectation.
6: Well, Barton, I always think you're crazy. But in this case, (laughs) it's different, I think. No, I mean, you saw him come in as, you know, a reclassified junior playing in the Army, you know, in the Army game stuff. And he looked as good as anybody out there. So I think you're not, you know, if he gets the guy, if he becomes the guy, you're not you know, they have a good quarterback. You know, how long will it take them to kind of be a great college quarterback? I don't know, we'll see. Maybe it's right away, maybe it's after a year or so. But this team is as deep on defense as I've seen since some of those Pete Carroll years. They really got bodies all over the place. A guy like Jay Tuffelli comes in who was a five star red shirted last year and is just killing it now. So I mean there's a lot of guys like that, a lot of veterans and then a lot of young players mixed in. And they got plenty of skill guys and they have, you know, they're 15 deep or whatever on the offensive line. They got lots of guys returning there. The pieces are in place bar that they could do like an 11 and one season and make the college football playoff and the schedule. If you go through September undefeated, you're going to be one of the talked about teams in college football. Cause you don't have road wins against Stanford and Texas and, and Arizona with Cleo Tate and all that. So they, it's set up where if they win, they're going to do a good job, you know, but this is a team I think could finish seven and five too. So I don't think you're it's it's not out of the realm of possibility that you know eleven and one and they make the college football playoff. But if they struggle early in September and they start off one and two, who knows what they could do? So I, I think there's a wide range. So you're not crazy for thinking that, but just know that it might be a lot worse than that too. What all your-
0: they need to do is start two and one. That's what I, if they start two and one, then then I'm golden. But but here's here's the here's what's going to cinch my. My prediction or, or have me just sort of call off the dogs here is your answer to the next question here. What are we to make of the offensive line? Is, is, are you confident that the offensive line will be a totally different unit than last year, or are, are we still worried about that group? I think you'd still have to be
6: somewhat worried about that group. Neil Callaway's back for his third year. But six years prior to, to Clay Helton, they had a different offensive line coach every year. So continuity – was always a problem. Well, they have that now. They've got guys, I think six guys with starting experience four, you know, regular starters returning. And that's 15 scholarship guys. There are plenty of four and five star dudes to choose from. There's experience. You have continuity. It should work, Bart. It should be good. And if it's not, then there's some other problems going on. So I'm not convinced that it will be, but it's set up that it should be. And if it's not, that's a, it's a huge problem. Clay Helen's going to have to address.
1: What does your gut say for the you you mentioned it could be eleven and one it could be seven and five um what is what what are you seeing as you look into your crystal ball at what the what the record is going to be at the end of the year?
6: you know, I think it's fairly safe to say like nine and three it's probably somewhere around there. You could see this team uh losing a game or two. I mean they got some tough road games. Clayton hasn't lost in the Coliseum, so he hasn't lost at home i mean that's a I mean that's a good sign, I guess, but um I, I don't know you just feel like with a freshman quarterback and still a, a young coaching staff that's kind of learning on the job, that it's going to be tough to make that kind of run. They made a great run after starting off terrible in 2016. Um, you know, maybe they have to do that again because they got that early part of the schedule. But my guess would be probably about nine and three.
1: He is Ryan Abraham. You can follow him on Twitter at InsideTroy. USCfootball.com is where you find his work. Ryan, thank you very much.
6: Anytime, guys. Thanks for having me on. Around the world.
1: Well, that about wraps – that's it. I mean, that doesn't about wrap up. Barton, that's, that, was, that was a very solid uh, around the world in 30-ish minutes. Um, what do you think you learned or what is your takeaway from those five interviews we just had with the boots on the ground from 24-7 Sports?
0: Uh, interesting. Like, I, not a lot of confidence from LSU I didn't feel like. Nope. like I don't leave the LSU conversation ready to start predicting 9-3. and three. I don't leave the USC conversation with – with a whole lot of like additional ammo for my playoff run, uh, I feel a little better about my Michigan playoff run. And Georgia is going to be Georgia. Uh, Texas is it's this the same Texas as it's been the past like four years. So like uh, I thought it was really interesting. Like that was a good that was a good run around the world. I'm glad we picked those those five to start because um, I feel like we learned a lot.
1: I'm gonna say that the the most significant takeaway is probably the most abstract and the fact that rusty went right to asking about the leaders in the locker room i mean i just i trust him to have a good feel for the personalities that are on that team and and a lot of times i think that you know other national media will will have that kind of conversation just you know looking at uh the fact that key players were gone and you know wonder aloud who's going to step up but i'll I'll be curious to revisit that particularly because man you you might need some leadership when you go on the road week two to, to take on South Carolina no question
0: and, uh, yeah be yeah, everyone talks about like Roquan Smith and what you're losing 130 tackles or whatever the hell he had last year but you're also lo- losing that that alpha dog leadership in the in the defensive locker room and so it's gonna be like that's you can't quantify that like you can't you just don't you don't really know what that looks like until the Till the bullets start flying. So, uh, you're right. I think that that was a, a pretty interesting thing to point to. By him. All
1: right. He is Barton Simmons. You can follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can follow me at chip underscore Patterson. It was a really busy week. Uh, we had some fun k- buzzing around with some camp buzz, talking about some news. We had the coaches episode with Bruce Feldman. Make sure that you subscribe on, uh, itunes google play um tune in wherever you get your podcasts you will be able to find it barton thank you very much next week we're previewing real games. we got lo- dude we got locks coming up in a week
0: locks Let's do it